This is The Rounds Table. Hello everyone, welcome to The Rounds Table. I am Christopher Giuliano, one of the rotating hosts, and I'm a clinical pharmacist. Today we have a guest host with us, Carrie Hartner. Carrie Hartner is a clinical pharmacist who practices in the medical intensive care unit. Hi everyone. Thanks for coming today, Carrie. So today our episode is going to be called Believe It or Caught. The first article we will review is going to look at rivaroxaban and preventing thrombosis in patients with antiphospholipid syndrome. And the second article we will evaluate is looking at rivaroxaban also to prevent thrombosis in patients with cancer. So let's go ahead and jump right into the first article. The first article we're going to talk about was published by Pango and colleagues in October in Blood. And this article is titled Rivaroxaban versus Warfarin in Patients with Antiphospholipid Syndrome. Okay, Chris. What was the bottom line for this article? So this randomized control trial of 120 patients with antiphospholipid syndrome, which I'll probably refer to as APS throughout the podcast, looked at patients receiving either rivaroxaban or warfarin. And they actually found a higher rate of thromboembolic and bleeding events in patients that received rivaroxaban and this actually resulted in the study being terminated early. So why did you choose this article, or why is it important for us? So I chose this article because there's really no studies evaluating rivaroxaban in these patients with APS. APS is pretty rare. The prevalence is around 50 in 100,000 patients. It's an autoimmune disease that is associated with thromboembolic events both arterial and venous events. It's also associated with pregnancy morbidity and the presence of antiphospholipid antibodies. Interestingly, there was a study done previous to this where they evaluated a specific marker called the endogenous thrombin potential, and they only looked in APS patients, and they actually saw that this was higher with rivaroxaban versus warfarin, which would suggest that patients on rivaroxaban could be at a higher thrombosis risk. So what was the design of the study and where did it take place? So this was a non-inferiority randomized control trial conducted in Italy. Who were the patients? So they included patients that were triple positive for APS. This means they had to be positive for lupus anticoagulant, anticardiolipin, and anti-beta-2 glycoprotein. Now, when you're positive for all three of these different values, this puts you at an extremely high risk for thrombosis. These patients also had to have a history of thrombosis. This was a very high-risk population. They did exclude patients that had poor kidney function defined by a creatinine clearance of less than 30, or if they were a very high bleed risk. Now, the patients in the study, the average age was around 46. There was more females than males. About two-thirds of the study was females. Half of the patients smoked, and the most common comorbidities were hypertension and hyperlipidemia. What was the intervention or primary question for this study? So the exposure was rivaroxaban, either 15 or 20 milligrams based off the kidney function, 
versus warfarin, and the goal INR for warfarin was between 2 to 3. What was the primary outcome, and when was it measured? So the primary outcome was a composite outcome, and the components of the composite were, did patients experience a thromboembolic event, did they have a major bleed, or did they have vascular death? And they followed these patients for approximately one and a half years. What were the main findings of the study? So the main finding of this study was that the composite outcome was higher in the rivaroxaban group compared to the warfarin group. And that occurred in 11 patients in the rivaroxaban group and only two patients in the warfarin group. Now, out of those 11 events that happened, seven of them were thromboembolic events. And interestingly, they were all arterial events. So that was four strokes and three MIs for the total of seven thromboembolic events. The other four events were bleeding that occurred in the rivaroxaban group. No thromboembolic events occurred in the warfarin group, but there was two episodes of major bleed. So overall, the number needed to harm for thromboembolic events was 11 in the per-protocol analysis for patients receiving rivaroxaban versus warfarin. But in the intention-to-treat analysis, the number needed to harm was even larger at 5. That's interesting. Are there any other points or observations that you wanted to make about this study? So I found these results to be very interesting. Actually, 96% of the patients on the rivaroxaban group were adherent. So this does not explain why there was an increased rate of thrombosis in the rivaroxaban group. Now, the study was also ended relatively early. They only recruited about 25% of their total sample, but it, it was not ethical to continue the trial at this point. And lastly, there was more patients in the warfarin group on a medication called hydroxychloroquine. In some observational studies, this has been shown to be associated with decreased thrombosis events, which could partially explain the outcomes, but it doesn't really fully explain the outcomes that we're seeing in this study. Are there any important limitations that we haven't discussed? So kind of like I said before, the, my biggest concern was how early the study ended. However, this was an ethical decision, and likely this study will not repeat it in the future due to the excess and harm that was seen in the study. Can you summarize your take on the balance of the strengths and weaknesses? Overall, this was a well-done RCT that ended early that will result in Coumadin being the drug of choice for patients with APS. Physicians need to avoid using rivaroxaban in this population. Do you think this will affect your practice in this area? I had not been using rivaroxaban for APS patients because of the lack of data, so it reinforces my current practice of using warfarin as the anticoagulant of choice. All right, well, let's go ahead and jump to your article, Carrie. Thanks, Chris. My article was first published by Young and colleagues in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in July of this year. It's titled, Comparison of an Oral Factor 10A Inhibitor with Low Molecular Weight Heparin in Patients with Cancer with Venous Thromboembolism Results of a Randomized Trial, or the SELECT-D Trial. 
So what was the big take-home point for this article? This was a randomized, open-label trial of 203 patients in the United Kingdom with active cancer as well as active PE or symptomatic lower extremity DVT comparing daltaparin and rivaroxaban, finding that rivaroxaban was associated with low VTE recurrence but an increase in clinically relevant non-major bleeding. All right, interesting. It's always good to have more options. So why did you choose this article, Carrie? I chose this article because VTE is fairly common in patients with active cancer, for which the standard of care has always been low molecular weight heparin. However, there's been a recent increase in the use of DOACs, such as rivaroxaban, which warrants research with these agents in this population. The Einstein trial did compare rivaroxaban to low molecular weight heparin followed by vitamin K antagonists in patients with DVT or PE. Unfortunately, a very small amount of these patients had active cancer, only about 5%. Additionally, the comparator group of low molecular weight heparin for the duration of treatment of VTE is more in line with the standard of care for cancer patients with this disease. So this study provides an important piece of evidence regarding the use of rivaroxaban compared to standard of care low molecular weight heparin in this population. What was the design of the study and where did it take place? The study was a randomized, open-label, multi-center pilot study which was conducted in the United Kingdom. It was not blinded. And what did the patients look like in the study? They included patients who had active cancer within the previous six months, as well as an objectively confirmed VTE, which included symptomatic lower extremity proximal DVTs, or PEs. Patients needed to be at least 18 years of age and weigh 40 kilograms, as well as have an Eastern Cooperative Oncology Group, or ECOG, performance status of less than or equal to 2. Interestingly, they also had to have adequate renal, hematologic, and hepatic function prior to enrollment. The exclusion list is fairly extensive and included previous treatment dose of any anticoagulant or previous treatment with greater than 75 milligrams of aspirin a day, history of VTE, clinically significant liver disease, bacterial endocarditis, current active bleeding or high risk, uncontrolled hypertension, childbearing age with lack of contraceptives, and the study, interestingly, did not allow strong CYP3A4 inhibitors or inducers, or PGP. The median age was 67 in both groups, and there were, interestingly, a little bit more males in the rivaroxaban group and females in the low molecular weight group, and was predominantly Caucasian. Most cancer types were breast, lung, and colorectal, and about half of the patients had symptomatic VTE. So what was the main intervention in the study in the comparator? The intervention group received rivaroxaban 15 milligrams BID for three weeks, then 20 milligrams once daily for six months. The comparator group, on the other hand, received the daltaparin 200 IUs per kilo subcutaneously once daily for the first 30 days, and then 150 units per kilo subcutaneously once daily for five months. Both of these were adjusted or held for low platelet counts or renal function adjustments. The initial intention after six months, if there was residual DVT, then the group could be further randomized to placebo or rivaroxaban continuation therapy. So what was the primary outcome they were looking for? The primary outcome was recurrence of VTE or other sites of venous thrombosis within six months 
and they also looked at major bleeding as well as clinically relevant non-major bleeding. All right, so what did they find? They found that VTE recurrence occurred in 18 patients in the Daltaparin group and only eight patients in the Rivaroxaban group within six months of assignment. The cumulative recurrence rate was 11% for Daltaparin and 4% for Rivaroxaban with a hazard ratio of 0.43. Site of tumor and VTE type did predict for VTE recurrence. For secondary outcomes, the cumulative major bleed at six months was 4% for daltaparin and 6% for rivaroxaban with a hazard ratio of 1.83. And for clinically relevant non-major bleeding, 7% in the daltaparin group experienced this versus 25 patients in the rivaroxaban group with a hazard ratio of 3.76. Most of those clinically relevant non-major bleeds were uh, GI or urologic in nature. This led us for, in terms of the primary outcome, an absolute risk reduction of 7% and a number needed to treat of 14. For the safety outcome of the major bleed at six months, the number needed to harm would be 50 patients. Great. So are there any interesting points or observations you wanted to make about this study or anything that caught your eye? There's two things that I thought were really interesting. The first is that most cases of recurrent PE were incidental rather than symptomatic in the daltaparin arm. The second is that there is a similar study by Hokusai, which was published showing one of the other DOACs, adoxaban, was non-inferior to daltaparin with a composite outcome of either recurrent VTE and major bleeding at 12 months in the same patient population. This study found major bleeding to be higher at six months with adoxaban, but overall the trial was relatively similar to the results of the study we are looking at. All right, good. Well, it sounds like we have more options other than injections for these patients. Are there any other limitations that we haven't discussed? I think there were significant exclusion criteria in the study in terms of hepatic, renal, and hematologic function that may limit the generalizability to all of our patients with active cancer. Additionally, the study wanted to initially evaluate long-term, i.e. beyond six months, management of VTE. However, recruitment to this arm was much slower than desired due to stringent inclusion criteria, and this part of the trial was canceled due to its utility, leaving this question unanswered. Oh, that would have been nice to have. So can you go ahead and summarize your take on the balance of the strengths and weaknesses of the study? I think overall this was a well-designed pilot study that did show that rivaroxaban is an efficacious alternative to daltaparin for VTE treatment in the cancer patient, but at the cost of higher clinically relevant non-major bleeding, about a three-fold risk. It does, again, leave that question of treatment beyond six months unanswered. Overall, I would consider the use of rivaroxaban in this patient population. I think taking patient preferences of anticoagulation, especially in this population who is dealing with so much, is important. There was an increase of bleeding of patients who experienced the major bleeding with the rivaroxaban in patients with a history of esophageal or gastroesophageal cancer, so I would not consider the drug in that population. I do believe that further studies are needed to confirm the result of this pilot study. Great. So can you summarize your main learning point of this article? 
In patients with active cancer, rivaroxaban may be considered an alternative to low molecular weight heparin, taking into account patient preferences and individualized risk factors. Great, and how is this gonna impact your practice? I think that it makes rivaroxaban seem like an attractive alternative for certain patients with VTE and active cancer, aside from those with esophageal or esophageal cancer. And always, we should consider patient preferences as well as evidence-based medicine for anticoagulation. Great. Thank you so much, Carrie. <laughs> so let's go ahead and move on to my favorite segment of the podcast, the Good Stuff segment, where we are going to talk about what we've been reading about lately. So I develop a lot of cases for pharmacy students, and I recently came across an interesting website and this website is humandx.org. On this website, medical professionals from across the world write cases, and then other users on the website get to solve the cases. So it's like a crowdsourced case-solving website. And you also get to see how other people answer these cases. Um, so I found this to be really interesting and useful. And if you're competitive, they even have leaderboards for those that solve the most cases. For my good stuff segment, one thing I like to do to kind of keep current is follow different websites on social media. So I initially encountered this article from Medscape, and it was an opinion piece reflecting on a recent study published in Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, which showed that 60% of Clostridium difficile spores were left behind on hospital bed sheets even after standard laundering procedures were utilized. This contamination may actually explain hospital outbreaks that we were previously unable to account for from the spread of other sources. Well, thanks, Carrie. That will help me sleep easy tonight. No problem, Chris. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. The Rounds Table is hosted online by Healthy Debate. Read more at healthydebate.ca slash roundstable. Follow us on Twitter at roundstable or on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundstablepodcast. The Roundstable would not be possible without our fantastic team of on-air and behind-the-scenes personalities. Thank you to all of our hosts, to our producer, Emily Hughes, audio editor, Emilio Garcia-Flores, communications director, Grace Zhao, segment director, Shaliza Halani, host director, Dan Marinescu, Director of Quality and Evaluation, Wilson Kwong, and faculty mentor and founder of the Rounds Table, Amol Verma. Join us next week for an exciting discussion of the latest medical research to grace the airwaves. You never know what's in store until you tune in.